I have the honor of being joined today by John Matonis. He is chief economist with Cypherpunk Holdings, which is a CSE issuer. Uh, but John, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, no, no problem, man. I'm glad to be here. I do appreciate, uh, I can't do any traveling, but I appreciate that I can see London behind you in the window. I feel a little bit of a travel bug. <laughs> Um, Okay, so John, let's jump right into it. First of all, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your background. You have quite an interesting background. We're obviously here to have a discussion around finance and banking in uh, digital securities and digital assets and what's coming to market. But first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Right, right. um, Early on in my career, I was the uh, foreign exchange trader for Visa International. Um, and going back to the 90s. So as the chief foreign exchange dealer for Visa, uh, we covered about 18 billion in international currency trade at that time. So anytime uh, a transaction was made, um, an exchange rate would hit your statement. Um, That was our team that was putting that that exchange rate in. So uh, that gave me a glimpse into the uh, international payment system and how all that worked with various currencies and cards and payment instruments. Um, which was also about the same time that the, the world was moving into cryptography because Visa then became uh, one of the early investors into VeriSign. And I moved over from Visa going into VeriSign in the payments division with uh, digital certificates and encryption. So the whole financial cryptography area was, was booming in the, in the mid to late 90s. And this is all you know, pre-Bitcoin, pre-cryptocurrency. Um, in fact, the institutions back then were looking at ways to get into the market for being their own currency issuers. So you had um, a group at Visa that was examining how they could be a, a digital currency issuer uh, by creating a Visa monetary unit even. Um, so, so they were, in a way, forecasting uh, a lot of the things that we were to see later on. Um, but it was that blend of finance and cryptography that was so interesting to me that was that was booming at the time and eventually just led me into uh, be involved uh, with digital currencies going all the way from the mid 90s to when Bitcoin was created in uh, 2008 released in in 2009 uh, I wrote extensively on Bitcoin I wrote for Forbes I wrote for coindesk um, and I eventually uh, joined the Bitcoin Foundation as a founding member uh, in, in 2012. So <clears throat> I was the uh, person behind the Bitcoin conferences that were that we had in 2013 and 2014. Um, we had the biggest Bitcoin conference in the world at that time in, in Amsterdam in 2014. Um, the Bitcoin Foundation today is not so much of a driving force in Bitcoin because so many other companies have taken up the task of dedicating dedicating money, dedicating developers, and dedicating promotion. Uh, But back in the early days, there was nobody that was even forming a narrative uh, for the press. Uh, So we we wanted to fill that vacuum and not let the press deviate into uh, uh, bad press for Bitcoin. And and we were successful in doing that. That that takes us to about uh, 2015, 2016, um, where I, at that point, started working with uh, various companies as a board director that were in the crypto space. So focusing on you know fintech payments, um, uh, gaming companies, uh, but also uh, privacy tech. 
and the intersection of privacy tech with finance, um, which led me to Cypherpunk Holdings, uh, the, you know, the current listed company. Um, <clears throat> the reason that Cypherpunk Holdings and privacy tech is, is so uh, interesting in this space is that you won't have any success with cryptocurrencies or DeFi or NFTs or any of those things unless you have a solid foundation of uh, privacy. Um, you're not going to have any businesses adopt things where, you know, it, it, where, where payrolls will be public information or you won't have any large finance deals happening if, uh, if the sensitive information is not confidential. So there's a whole entire sub-industry working to solve the privacy problem uh, with these startups. And, and that's what Cypherpunk Holdings focuses on. You know, uh, it, first of all, it's so interesting to say that you started you started working with this foundation in 2012. It's hard to believe that Bitcoin has been around for that long, um, you know, because I feel like it's a conversation that people are finally having just within the past maybe two to three years. So it's so interesting that this stuff has been around for so long. And even your work with Visa in the 90s, you know, which might be considered the first digital uh, currencies that were working. Um I saw you do an interview and I thought you said something that was really interesting. You said, um, money doesn't do bad things, bad people do bad things. And right. I think that's a really interesting way to, to view it. I think people are afraid of privacy around uh, currency, um, but you did dive into that a little bit. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, the, um, I think you're right. I think that it, it, <laughs> Government and, and media use the opportunity to, to tarnish what they want to tarnish. Um, but if you strip it down to its essence, it, it's really nothing different than what we already have. So the, the paper cash in your pocket um, has the same privacy attributes that something like Bitcoin or uh, Ethereum would have. And, and mainly those three privacy attributes are um, you know, user-defined privacy. You get to decide. Uh, if you if you reveal information, um, the, the the second attribute is the irreversibility of the transaction. If you give someone a hundred dollar bill, um, they have it, and you no longer have it. It's irreversible. And then the third attribute is the uh, the non traceability. Um, you're not able to link um, a cash transaction to uh, an individual in all cases as that paper cash moves along. Uh, you know the transaction chain. So when we move to the digital world with something like Bitcoin, um, it doesn't add any new hidden secret privacy techniques. It's just the same ones that we already had in the analog world with paper cash, which um, I don't think that certain powers that be want those same attributes to remain in paper cash. So then they become, you know, they become concerned that um, those attributes are actually able to be retained when we go digital. Um, th this this really wasn't a focus of Visa so much, but it's it's a focus of uh, decentralized systems uh, such as Bitcoin uh, on the internet. You know, I mean, the original uh, dollar was was an IOU essentially. Um, that's how paper money was created. You know, we had obviously coins that were that were made out of certain uh, metals, but the original paper money was IOUs. And now we live in this digital world, so it seems to make sense that we're entering um, that side of it. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the themes that you're seeing in finance and banking when it comes to uh, 
digital securities or digital assets. I mean, we can talk about cryptocurrencies, but just in general, what themes are you seeing? What are you seeing come to market in the in the banking world? Well, there, there's there's so many new business models that are made possible by this technology. So it, it ultimately will affect every single area. Um, we're seeing it go with the low-hanging fruit initially, um, low-hanging fruit being uh, obviously financial services in the larger sector, but focusing in further within financial services, it's um, the, the, the um, early applications of um, uh, around DeFi and decentralized finance, such as lending and earning. Um, these are normal banking functions, but when you throw it into the world of DeFi, it automatically uh, sometimes takes on this, you know, this new, uh, uh, this new glamour um, because people aren't used to it without having a, a physical bank or an old institution. So staking uh, your digital assets refers to earning a yield um, on, your, on your current holdings. So it's just like earning interest that you would earn interest on a CD. You want to you earn a yield. Um, the, the, there's many products that are evolving around that. And the, the entire yield farming market um, is, is something that's new to a lot of people still, but it's exploding in, in DeFi land. Um, then the, on the other side of it, you have the, the lending business. Um, people want to be able to use their collateral uh, for, for fiat loans. Uh, for instance, let's say that you have a Bitcoin uh, or Ethereum portfolio. You don't want to liquidate your portfolio, but you want to use it as collateral to get a loan in dollars or euros so that maybe you can make a down payment on a house or something like that. Um, and there's a multitude of companies that are springing up to be able to do that and address that market. It's moving so fast and so quickly that the, the regulators, not only can they not keep up with it, but they can barely even understand it. Do you think that the financial institutions are resistant to this change? Um, largely, I do, but I don't think it's their fault. I think the, the financial institutions are resistant to the change because right now they've been uh, deputized to be almost a, a, a law enforcement wing for financial surveillance. Um, so the, the, their agenda is very conflicted. Um, if you go into any, any major bank right now, and try to discuss anything about new product offerings or the future of finance. Um, what you'll run into is not um, open-minded product people, but you'll run into a wall of attorneys. I mean, the, the, the compliance team and the legal teams outnumber the new product teams uh, by, by a wide margin in banking. So I, I, I don't think it's their fault because they've been uh, deputized in this way and they've been chartered and regulated. Um, but I do think that they, the, there's a certain number of financial institution players that are looking at the space and they're looking at the space for acquisitions. Do you think and then that, that's how they'll enter the market? Do you think that we're going to start seeing this in, in all of our daily banking? I mean, for example, do you think at some point you could go to your brokerage account, deposit uh, Bitcoin and buy stock? Um, well, <laughs> that's funny you should say that. I think uh, one of the brokers just announced that uh, they're accepting cryptocurrency deposits. Uh, that was last month. So um, wow. you might start seeing that sooner than you think. But uh, absolutely, the answer is yes. And I think it's going to be driven uh, by the wallets. And Cypherpunk Holdings has the thesis that it will be driven by the wallets, which means 
just like the browsers uh, steered our entry into the web and how we navigated the web, the digital wallets that people have, whether it's on their phone or their desktop, um, it won't be like a normal wallet. It'll, it'll do so many things for you behind the scenes that you won't even realize that user interface is what's going to allow this technology to go mainstream because it's gonna simplify it for the end user. Um, for instance, some of the things that you'll be able to do with your digital wallet will be able to, you'll be able to construct complex smart contracts in DeFi um, by just plugging your wallet into the web. Um, you'll be able to have um, uh, a privacy on transactions that you define, which will be all be managed by your wallet. The wallets will be able to talk to each other, um, <clears throat> but everything will still be under your control. So just think of it as um, we're moving from browser-based land to wallet-based land to access these services. It's so interesting. Now, my my final question for you, and this is a bit of a big one. Hopefully, I'm not I'm not overwhelming you with an answer, but how? I mean, obviously, we know Ethereum and uh, or Ethereum, sorry, and Bitcoin. Um, obviously, people can create cryptocurrencies. They have the ability to do so. We also have uh, crypto exchanges that are coming to market where people can trade these. If we're implementing this into our everyday banking life with lending, with investing, with financing, how is it being dealt with as far as, uh, you know, going back to kind of uh, regular currency currency exchanges how are we valuating these these crypto um cryptocurrencies as they're coming to market and implementing them into our everyday financial life uh okay a excellent question i mean I i've never really said that um uh bitcoin or cryptocurrencies is going to totally eradicate the government fiat currencies um it's not a situation where you'll immediately see a replacement like that i think what you'll see is um uh, the Bitcoin keeping the fiat currencies competitive, keeping them honest. So it'll just be another point of competition for, for fiat currencies. Um, and I also don't think you have to be overwhelmed by 5,000 different cryptocurrencies because there's only going to be a handful, uh, maybe two or three that function as a pure store of value, um, which, which would be um, a currency that people want to hold on to for, for a store of value to use later. A lot of the other cryptocurrency are, currencies are application-specific. They give you um, uh, access to certain smart contract platforms, different blockchains. So we're not getting into a world of 5,000 different stores of value. Um, th there'll be a small number of competitors. Think of it like um, how we settled around um, Celsius and Fahrenheit and Kelvin for measuring temperature. I mean, we, we only have three different ways to measure temperature. Um, we're not going to have uh, a thousand ways to measure value. Super interesting. Well, listen, John, um, everything that you said today, I found super interesting. I hope I can bring you back at some point uh, to do another interview. Um, definitely take a look at Cypherpunk. It's definitely, uh, I think it stands out a little bit in the market, just the fact that you focus so much on privacy, uh, which is an important element of it. Thank you for your time today and look forward to chatting with you again. Thanks, Anna.